This is episode number 35 with D. Willard Ruffin. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your hosts, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to American Snippets. Thank you so much for being on today's show. My name is Dave Brown, lifestyle entrepreneur, investor, coach, and co-host of the American Snippets podcast. Again, our goal each week is to bring you an inspiring story or exceptional person who is living, defending, or promoting the American dream. And our guest today is living that dream. She is an incredible woman who has overcome so many obstacles in her life. Her name is Dee Willard Ruffin, and she is a living example of what is possible with perseverance, grit, and graciousness. She first fought her way up the corporate ladder to become the first African-American female postmaster in Bethesda, Maryland. And then she had to push through the pain of her husband's death, and she made a comeback in life, starting over to create a highly successful real estate investment company. And in this interview, Dee shares another incredible story about survival. So if you ever doubted in your own ability to overcome seemingly insurmountable setbacks, wondered how you can create the life you want, even if you're starting with nothing, or maybe you've been faced with racial or gender barriers, no matter what it is, Dee's story has the answers. Now, before we get to the interview we did with Dee, I just want to give a shout out to today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Real Estate Worldwide. Real estate investing is one of the fastest and lucrative ways to achieve the American dream. And Dee actually proves that herself in this episode. But the key is having the right blueprint to follow. And that's where Real Estate Worldwide comes in. The founder uh, of this top-ranked education and software company is not only a good friend, but he's a personal mentor. His name is Kent Clothier, and we've actually had him on the show as well. You can go back and listen to that. That's episode 007 if you want to check it out. Uh, His company's uh, systems and trainings have played a huge role in my success as a real estate investor. Uh, The REWW Academy is hands down the premier real estate investing learning system, and we've put together a special training for those of you who would like to learn more. So just visit americansnippets.com forward slash R-E-W-W. All right, now on to our show. Without further ado, here's Barbara Allen with today's guest, D. Willard Ruffin. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to American Snippets. My name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my co-host, Barbara Allen. Uh, today, we're really excited to have a, a very special guest on. Her name is D. Willard Ruffin. Uh, She is a real estate investor in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, Dee, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on. You have a very uh, interesting story um, in terms of where you are and where you are today and and the journey that you took to to get here. Um, You started off uh, as a letter carrier for the Postal Service, right? That's correct. correct. How long ago was that? Gee, I started there in uh, 1987, 86, a couple of years ago. And um, I started as a letter carrier and worked my way up the corporate ladder uh, to becoming the first African-American female postmaster to hold a position in Bethesda, Maryland. Wow, that's awesome. That was pretty pretty exciting for me. Yeah. And and you were, how long was that? How long was that career? So I got installed in uh, 2005, 
and uh, I held that position for seven years. However, uh, I was actually in the acting position there since 2003, so uh, really approximately nine years uh, overall, but uh, to actually have the position itself was about seven years. And then uh, in 2009, um, you had a, a loss in your life. I did. A uh, very devastating one at that. Um, I, um, I lost my husband, uh, who was uh, really uh, my backbone and uh, someone that uh, we've been married for many, many years. And, uh, and that was just a devastating blow for me. And so it, it really took the drive out of me. Uh, where I was so excited about uh, being in a large post office, uh, over 300 employees, handling over a $24 million budget, you know, and all the accolades that came along with that, uh, being the first African-American female. Uh, but all of that just went completely away after Paul passed away. And um, everything changed for me. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go to work, which I didn't work for 13 months. I just stayed at home and, and, and stayed in a hole and didn't go out of it. Uh, so I was really um, completely devastated by his loss. And uh, one day my mom uh, said, you know, you got to do something. You got to go back to work. You know, you got to keep living, and uh, which is something I didn't feel like at the time I really wanted to do, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, so the post office wasn't a motivation and nothing else was really too much of a motivation for me, or at least that those 13 months. And so I decided I decided to go back. Uh, I went back and at the end of uh, 2010 and it wasn't the same. Um, I didn't like it as much. I hated getting up in the morning, going to work. Uh, and also I just was there, you know, trying to do the best I can existing. I guess, if you will. And um, after that, I, uh, we went on a family vacation. And when I came back uh, from that, there was a letter in my mailbox that, that said that if I, I didn't have the age, but I had the years of service. If you had 25 years of service at any age, you could uh, take an early out uh, and retire, take an early retirement from the Postal Service. And um, while that seemed like it would be music to my ears, um, it wasn't really okay in a way because it was very scary yeah. because at that point in time, you know, I was uh, 49 years old. Um, and I, you know, of course, annuity was not going to be very much, you know, um, even though I had the years of service, uh, I didn't have the age. So I needed to spend another 16 years, uh, there at that time in order to get, what would be full retirement. So it was a very scary move for me because I had a decent income. Um, it definitely took care of the bills and all, um, six-figure income. And so I wasn't something that I could just jump and make a complete decision about. But in my heart, my heart wasn't there. So I really did want to go. It was just a matter of trying to figure out, you know, could I make it? Could I not? You know, was I going to eat? peanut butter and jelly every day or, you know, would I be able to, what could I actually do? And that was really difficult for me to be very honest. Um, and I prayed about it and prayed about it. And finally, I didn't know. I just decided I was just going to step out on faith because I only had 30 days to make this decision. Wow. Uh, so I, it wasn't like I had a long time that I could uh, decide what to do. You had to make the decision. You had 30 days. And then within 30 days after you made the decision, you were out. So, you know, in less than 
two months, you were gone uh, just like that. So finally, I just decided on the last day uh, that I could <laughs> send my paperwork in. I decided to express mail my paperwork in because it wouldn't have made it if I had just done it regular mail. So I sent my my uh, paperwork in and uh, decided to retire, stepped out on faith, and that was what I did. In relation to that, uh, my mom heard about Fortune Builders on a radio station uh, here locally. And uh, she told me, she said, Dee, you should go check that out. And I was like, oh, you know, I've been to a couple of seminars and all. And I was like, oh, not really. Huh? She said, yeah, yeah, go at least go listen and see what they have to say. And so I was like, OK, I will. And I decided me and my good friend uh, went to the seminar that they had the two day. And I have to tell you that that was probably something that changed me completely at that moment. And uh, it was something I felt on my insides that uh, this probably could be for me. And again, I uh, nervous and all again, but I said, I'm going to try it. I want to do it. And we stepped out on faith. I did and uh, got involved with Fortune Builders. And, and it's been a wonderful journey ever since. Wow. Wow. So backtracking a little bit, um, now we got a sort of an overall picture. Now we're going to kind of go step by step back through. Okay. So Uh starting at the postal service, I know, um, I have a sister-in-law who does that. I have a niece who just started just within the past several months. It is a very difficult, exhausting job, exhausting. I mean, she's carrying literally half of her body weight, you know, nine miles a day. And she's just a little twig, right? So, um, starting from that level and then maneuvering, working yourself all the way up through those ranks. And especially as a woman, and then as an African American woman, which, um, I can't speak to, but I imagine had several you know, additional hurdles that maybe a lot of us aren't aware of. So what is it uh, hey, what were some of those hurdles? Do you remember any you know, one or two or handful of moments where maybe you just you know were overwhelmed and then something that gave you the the inspiration or the motivation to just push forward and put like what drove you through all those years to reach the top? So um if what kinda actually happened was I did start out as a letter carrier. God bless your niece. I lost 35 pounds yeah. in the first two weeks yeah. uh, of carrying mail. I did. Uh, and so I definitely understand it. It's not a, uh, it's not an easy job at all. Um, however, I felt as though it was an opportunity, you know, by getting my foot in the door to be able to move. It was never my desire to stay as a letter carrier. It was always my desire to get my foot in the door and try to move up. Well, in 1989, I had a very devastating accident. I got hit by a car. Uh, while I was on the beat, uh, walking in the wow. snow, and I was paralyzed. Uh, oh I could God. not walk. Wow. Yeah. I became paralyzed from that accident, and uh, my mother, uh, who's my sidekick, um, basically was at the hospital and my rest of my family when the doctor said I would never walk again. And uh, she put everybody, my family just broke down and started crying. And so did I. And uh, hearing those news, I was only like 24 years old. I only had two kids. And so walking around trying to raise two small children in a wheelchair, I thought would be extremely, I knew would be extremely challenging. 
Uh, so I didn't know what to do, you know, hearing those, hearing that kind of news. But my mother put everybody out of the room and uh, she said to me, Didi, you will walk again. And uh, and I didn't think she knew what she was talking about. But, you know, because I knew at that time what the doctors had said and that was in my mind. But through my church, uh, people uh, started bringing me motivational books and reading the Bible. And my mom would come to the hospital every single day. They started me in a therapy where they put the uh, band around my waist and I had to walk on the parallel bars or try to. So at first, you know, I couldn't. I can't even tell you now, you know, how difficult it was for me to just put one foot in front of the other and how challenging. And we take that for granted, you know, yeah. just putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, but I can I live through that. And so knowing what it was to not to be able to do that uh, at that point was 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 critical for me. But um, my coach was there, which is my mom. And she said, she said, you're doing it. She was like a drill sergeant, if you will. And uh, that through my my faith and my belief in God, uh, one day I was able to put one foot in front of the other. And so I was out of work then for almost two years. And uh, they wanted to retire me at that point and, lead, and tell me to, to uh to go on about my barely way. They wanted to give me a retirement at 24 years old. And because I, you know, I couldn't carry mail anymore. And I went in the office and I said to the postmaster, my mother said, I wanted to be a clerk, uh, just a clerk to sell stamps. Right. And my mother said, why don't you go in and go into management? And I was like, oh, not going in. They're not going to take me for the same reason. There was not, there was only one other uh, black female in management. Uh, back then. This was in 1991. And um, she said, well, at least go in and say to the postmaster, you don't want to retire. You just want to, uh, you want to do something else. So I said, okay. So I did that. I went into him and something said, just tell him. I said, I really came in here to tell you that I wanted to be a clerk, but I think I want to try my hand at management. Now, I didn't know what the guy was going to say, because like I said, there was only one other black female uh, in there. Not very many blacks held management positions in the Postal Service. And this was in Arlington, Virginia. And he said, um, OK, Didi, come in your dress tomorrow at Preston King Station. Start training. I was like, wow. So I ran out and uh, came home. I was excited at that point. I was going to start into management. And I went into Preston King Station as an acting supervisor uh, there. They trained me. Uh, I then went from there to be becoming a regular supervisor uh, after that. And there was one lady that uh, was there. She was like my mentor, uh, the other black female. And she said, D, you could do it. Um, you know, you keep your head on straight. You don't use your skirt as a, uh, as a reason uh, to get ahead. And uh, real talk. And uh, she said, and just keep your mind in it and you will go far. So I just I went from there and I went from there to being a supervisor from a supervisor to a manager. And from a manager, I went to Alexandria from Alexandria. I went to um, Fairfax County, Herndon Station, and I became a person that could fix problem post offices. So I had become a reputation that they put me in the toughest post office and I could fix those tough post offices, uh, ones that weren't doing very well or ones that weren't um, 
you know, performing very well. So I had a pretty tough management style uh, along with it. And I had to because I had to perform as an African-American in order to be able to show that I could hold the job. So um, through that, um, I, like I said, I developed that reputation. Went from there and the postmaster from Herndon asked me to come to Bethesda uh, because she, she liked me. She liked my style. And uh, and I came there as a manager. And I wanted to be a postmaster of a large city. I didn't want to be a postmaster of a small one. And she said to me, um, I told her I wanted to be a postmaster one day. And she said, okay. Um, nobody believed it. And they even told me, you want to know about the challenges? They said I would never get that job. I just wasn't the right color. What? One. They actually said that to you? No, not exactly. But uh, that was the... Um, Undertone. The implication. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I said, okay. And actually when I went to be the acting, uh, they asked, they didn't ask me first to be the acting uh, postmaster. When my postmaster left, they asked another gentleman who turned it down uh, because the office was a difficult office to run, even in Bethesda as affluent as it was. And uh, so he turned it down and then they asked me, to uh, become uh, the acting postmaster. And I stayed in that position for two years, for two years. And um, when I applied for the job, there was five other, other people who applied and they still told me I wouldn't get it because it was very political. Yeah. You know, that's where uh, it's an affluent area. Uh, that's where all the um, congressional leaders uh, yep. are. Yep. You have to interact with the congressional leaders as well. Uh, because of the affluency of the um, of that of that county, and um, so yeah, so the demands were there, and they that was just that uh, it didn't. It wasn't that I wasn't I wouldn't be. It wasn't that I couldn't do the job. It was more so that you know um, the color barriers were there, the, the racial barriers were there. Uh, but as um, I put my best foot forward and. Uh, I slammed up the interview. And so, you know, at the end of the day, my motto was that I'm going to make you make a decision regardless. You know, it's going to have to, you're going to have to make a decision. It's not going to be, I'm going to just give it up and I'm going to give it to you. You're going to have to make a decision. And thank God uh, uh, he had no other choice. Uh, or I guess he did have a choice, but uh, he made the right decision in choosing me. Wow. So, so do you went from, uh, a horrific accident to almost mm -hmm. not being able to walk again yeah. to picking yourself back up, going back to the post office, getting the postmaster job mm -hmm. all while facing uh, color barriers and mm -hmm. maybe some sexism along the way, possibly, you know, it, you know, it. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, and then, then you had to deal with uh, the death of your, your husband uh, so all these things, one after another, and each time you're 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 dusting yourself up, uh, dusting yourself off, standing up, and still moving forward. I mean, amazing! You're an incredible woman. Thank you, thank you very much. An excellent role model for your kids. Um, wow. You know, I struggled with a lot of things in my life, but um, you know, up until the time where my husband was killed. Mm. I hadn't experienced anything to 
at all on the level of what you'd already been through, you know, when you wow. faced that situation. I had, my kids were four little boys. They were six, five, three, and one when my husband died. I was 32 wow. and it was very sudden, you know, in Iraq. And, and, um, so I, when I hear your story about how, and we haven't even gotten into detail on that part, and I'm already like, man, this woman was already badass. I mean, if there's anybody, yeah. <laughs> you had already <laughs> instilled in yourself the tools that you would need to find your way through this devastating loss where I had done the exact opposite and, you know, and sort of cultivated a mindset that. I could do anything as long as my husband was there, right? So mm-hmm. I hadn't accomplished anything significant on my own other than knocking out four kids in five years, you know? <laughs> that was my greatest right. achievement, you know? Uh, right. So, so uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm curious now and look, moving forward to see how those lessons that you learned, I mean, even that accident that you got into, which was a devastating loss, in hindsight, pushed you onto yeah. a path to jump ahead, yes. you know, out of the letter carrier. But you can't see that when you're in it. When right. you're in it, you just see, why me? Why this? I can't do this. Oh, my gosh. Right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then when you right. look back and you realize what those forces were that sometimes yes. without these terrible things happening, who knows what path you would have wound up taking, right? So it's yeah, we, uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, we percent agree with you. 100%. Yeah, we. Uh, I follow someone who's a, a an endurance athlete, an inspirational speaker, uh, you know, influencer on the internet and stuff. And he talks about how you know our life experiences, no matter how b- bad or dark they are, it, it calluses our mind uh, and it prepares us for for other things that we have to deal with moving forward in life, and it enables us to 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 move forward, no matter how, how bad things are, uh, to pick ourselves up and, and just keep striving for excellence and, and growth and taking it to another level. Uh, so I think, you know, you're a product of your experiences, uh, even though there are bad experiences and hard experiences as Barb's point that, you know, they carried you through to where you are today. And, uh, it's an incredible mindset that you need to have, I think, to succeed in life and in business. Um, and I think it's, it really attributed to, where you are today in terms of your, your next career path and how you attack that, just like you attacked everything else in your life. I I 100% agree with you. Not knowing that, as Barb said at the time, of course, and um, laying in that bed and not being, and being paralyzed certainly was devastating uh, for me, but. Unimaginable for the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But I did have a strong support system, which is, I believe you need to have that helps uh, or it, it, it takes you uh, in a lot of times to the level you need to be at. I think that I needed to have that strong, you know, support system uh, there that believed outside of what the doctors believed, that 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 told me to see past what the doctors were saying and believe, you know, in, uh, in a higher being and start to visualize it. To this day, I'm into visualization. Uh, I'm into affirmations. I'm into seeing things the way I want to see them, regardless of the way the circumstances are in front of my face at that time. So leaning to what you're saying about uh, your mentor as well, I agree with that 100%. So regardless of, I've now trained my mind 
to regardless of my situation and regardless of my circumstance, I see past that to where I expected to be and where I intended to be. Right. Yeah, it's your belief system. I mean, you've already you've proven to yourself in the past that you can get beyond, you know, those those things that you've experienced. And if you can see it, right? I mean, you you believe it enough, those things will come to fruition. They'll happen. Exactly. And, I do believe that. Yeah. I do believe that. Yes. Yeah. And God bless your mother for um telling you don't listen to these people. You know, you're going to because you do it is extraordinary the impact that the belief and values and projections of other people can really play on our response to situations and stress, whether we stay into a, into a, in a bad situation and project ourselves down or whether we move through it and claw our way up, you know, to whatever no extent question. we can. No question. And so, uh, yeah, hats off to your mom for, for doing that. It's hard as a mom to see your children struggle and suffer and be helpless to do anything about it and to yeah. be able to look past that and, and find the she story. really was uh she really was the backbone there and and because of that Barb, you know I feel very strong uh Barb and Dave very strong on my circle of influence. I talk to people now as as we speak about you know how important your circle of influence is. Yes. And uh and it's because of what I've gone through and what I've I've dealt with. Uh, how I was able to overcome a lot of these things just because of my circle of influence. Yeah. So I think that's important. Super important. Man, you have like 12 different episodes in you. We're just going to call you every month. So moving forward now, um, upon the, the death of your husband and going, you know, withdrawing from work and withdrawing from all that. And I know I, I, I don't want to go too deep into it because I, I, I understand it's difficult to talk about. Right. And I'm sorry to do that. But okay. the greater, the greater picture, um, is that when you, when I lost my husband and it was very, very traumatic story, he was in Iraq and he was killed by a fellow soldier and there was a murder trial and I had all these small children and it was it was just horrific. And I was a, a very immature 32 years old, very immature um, and very naive. 32. So everything was just a crash course. And I specifically remember, you know, the one dark moment that I'm sitting in bed and I'm holding that bottle of pills and I'm crying and I'm listening to my kids out there and I'm thinking they're better off without me anyway, you know, and I literally had that handful filled and then moving through that, but then saying, well, you know, I, sitting there in the evenings and saying, I'm just going to will myself to die, you know, and for spending all of my energy into that because the pain was too extraordinary for me and the hopeless and despair. And I didn't have any confidence that I could come through and be the leader my children needed or that I would even want to. I was just completely mm -hmm. disinterested in all that. Mm -hmm. So I, I completely can relate to the struggles that are that you face when something so enormous happens, especially someone like myself who had not necessarily ever tapped into those skills that I would need, that strengths that I would need to come through that. I'd never, I had in other ways, you know, I work ethic and all this, but I had never really been challenged to that extent mm -hmm. where I had mm -hmm. to dig deep and discover how bad did I want this? How bad was I going to fight for this? Um, mm -hmm. So this was my first true test and it was the wallop of a test, you know? So wow. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so 
that I'm going to say only in quotes because 13 months is an eternity. And you know, those, but dude, it took me like nine years to climb, to fully, <laughs> fully, you know, get back and stop making these catastrophic decisions and allowing other people to manipulate me and all that. So you in 13 months managed to go through all that. And not like it's resolved and over, but you're still every day you have to get up and make that choice. But you got to that place where you said, I'm going to start today. And so you made the decision to start in that time period, that process that you need to to start to get to where you are today and where you're going to be in five years or 10 years from now. But if you hadn't started that day, um, you know, it would be a completely different story. What yes. was one of the first things you did when you had that conversation with your mother? Uh, you, One of the first things you did then was go to that seminar? Yes. Um, she encouraged me to go because she had heard it on the radio and uh, she encouraged me to go to it. And so I did uh, with my best friend. Uh, we went to it. Um, so that was pretty much that, you know, that guidance there. I had gone to another seminar um, as well. And I joined the other seminar actually, because I liked what they were saying. I always liked real estate. Um, and I had, you know, just played around with it a little bit, nothing to the extent of what I'm doing now. Uh, but you know, I kind of liked it. So I just wanted to hear. And, but then after going to fortune builders in all honesty, uh, that was something that, that got inside of me. It wasn't on my flesh. It was on the inside of me and uh, based on, and I just believed in that. And I thought that from that point on, that could be something that I could be, um, that could possibly change my life for the better. Yeah. And, and it has, right? I mean, absolutely it has. has. It definitely so, has. So the seminar that you went to is for teaching people how to invest in real estate, how to uh, mm -hmm. fix and flip, rehab houses. Um, that is, you know, my space too. We've spoken before that I, I do that as well, full time. Uh, that's my career. I'm also a fortune builder student, right? I was involved in that about, uh, shoot, seven or eight years ago. Okay. Um, and now I'm with a, another real estate investing education company. So I know fortune builders is one of the top education uh, companies in, in the country for real estate, uh, Inc magazine, uh, top ranked and so, so on and so forth. And I coached, I've coached over a hundred students over the last three years uh, in wholesaling and real estate investing. And I know firsthand that the biggest tool that you need for success, like this business is all about mindset. 80% of it is mindset, having the right mindset. And, you know, everything that we've just discussed up to this point, you know, has you've built that mindset to attack this business and, and succeed at it. You already mentioned, you know, when you're in your postal job that you were a problem solver, right? You mm -hmm. solved the the problems of the of the postal mm -hmm. service, you know, in the area right. that you were working. And real estate is no different, especially when we're working with, right. you know, direct with sellers. Right. You know, we're ultimately solving a problem. Um, yes. A dilapidated house or a building. Mm -hmm. Is a problem, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> and yes, we're bringing you're bringing these properties back to their glory, um, and at the same time, giving back to your community by bringing these properties back up to the condition that they should be in, That's and right. bringing those communities along with it. So, right. uh, tell us That's a little right. about that, and and your current business, and what you're doing, and how many properties you're doing a year. Wow. So. Um 
DC is a large metropolitan area. Uh, so, and I want you to look at the, uh, the quantity. I want you to look at the quality. Sure. Uh, of what of what it is. Uh, I saw some of the I saw some of the work that you do uh, online and some of the videos, yeah. and it. Yeah. I mean, your properties are absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. So we we really look forward to getting out. You know, like you, uh, we've been trained to go out and get the, the distressed properties um, and all. But we primarily are in the Washington D.C. area. We do a couple in Maryland, and not really. Uh, well, we have one that we're doing in Virginia, uh, but primarily our focus is Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. has a very long permitting system because what we do is we go in and now um, our, our business model is to gut out the houses uh, completely and then rebuild them the way that we want it. And, you know, the way that we see them to be uh, not nothing like the way that they are. So that's our whole business model. And so um, we do about in between four to five a year. Uh, those properties, uh, each of them take anywhere from nine to 12 months, excuse me, to do. Um, and then um, we also we've incorporated now. Our, our rental portfolio, so we're buying in and are holding on to um, to rental portfolio to to rental properties as well. Uh, we've expanded in that area, and um, now we have a property manager uh, managing six of our rental units. Um, I've done over thirty three million dollars in transactions. I've been involved with uh, Fortune Builders for the last five and a half years, um, and so <laughs> since that time, we've done like. Um, like I said, over $33 million in transactions and, and uh, 50, 52 properties uh, in that time span. So, and that's all inclusive, inclusive of, you know, we do a, did a little bit of wholesaling, not very much, uh, but a little bit of wholesaling. Uh, but we also expanded out to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we have an expansion team in New Jersey. And uh, we also have a rental property and we've also purchased a home that we're going to be renovating down in Virginia. So now we have all of those areas that right. are uh, around us now. And that's where our main focus is. Uh, and I'm, I'll be coaching students as well, uh, not Fortune Builder students, my own, uh, because I just launched out a mentorship program. And we're also doing negotiations in Jamaica. Uh, so that we're what? looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're looking at getting some land there and uh, and building a resort. Awesome, sweet. <laughs> Do you have so what's the what's the Jamaican uh, connection? Uh, amazing. So we talk about mindset. We talk about uh, how we think, our thought processes, and believe it or not, Dave and and Barb, because I guess of. Uh, I've established a, a a a good credibility, thank God, as well as uh, uh, people now see the integrity that I so much try to maintain and have and and keep and and, and know you know uh, make sure that uh, I tell my folks how important that is. So um, we don't take any shortcuts or anything like that. As a result of that. More people know me than I know of them. Okay, <laughs> <I get it. laughs> so what happens is that I get calls and messages all the time uh, from 
people who either want to have deals or want me to look at, you know, want me to buy something, buy their property or whatever. In this particular situation with Jamaica, I was getting a house in Capitol Hill. All right. I was doing one, doing it myself. That's a very prominent area of Washington, D.C. Okay. I mean, very prominent. That's right there near this Capitol Hill. So it's near the White House and all of that kind of stuff, just to give you an overview of it. Um, so to get a property over in Capitol Hill is is huge. Okay. So I got one and uh, we did it. We was doing it. And then two door, three doors down from that became another one. All right. Now I'm going somewhere with this story. It'll take me one minute. I got the other property. I didn't get it at first because uh, somebody else was getting it. But I went over and established myself with them and the real estate agent liked me. And as a result, the person who was getting that property, the deal fell through for them. So she called me up and said, hey, nice. do you still want this property three doors down? You know, the deal fell through. And so I said yes. And I wanted it for the price that I wanted it for. Okay. So we agreed on that. And be, but what I did was I gave the person who the deal fell through on, I gave him $10,000. Okay. Yeah, I did. Wow. And, uh, you know, because I knew he was hurt. I knew he was, he was hurt over loot, not getting the property. I knew he really wanted it. And a lender just really kind of let him down. And just, you know, fell out, fell out on him. So I gave him $10,000 and, um, and we went hard on, we finished the project and, and completed it. And, uh, he called me, he got the, he had the connection in Jamaica and he called me and say, Hey, I got this connection in Jamaica. I'd like to go. We, we want to put together a team and go there and build some, uh, resort, build a resort, buy the land and build a resort. Would you like to join me in doing it? Crazy. That is awesome. That's a, uh, a wonderful example of yeah. the, the law of reciprocity, right? I mean, you help someone yeah. out and it came back tenfold to you. Yep. That's yeah. exactly what happened. So, yeah. D, I want to ask you, um, so you kind of started over when you were 49 years old, right? You were kind of left with a choice, like what's, what's next? So, yeah. What would you say to someone who's in that age bracket, you know, they're in their 40s, they're in their 50s or even their 60s or 70s. And they think that uh, they're too old to to start a new path or to go you know, chase after a new career or go after their dreams. What do you would what would you say to someone like that? Wow. First of all, I would tell them to act like me, because, you know, even though I'm 55, I think I'm 35. OK, so uh, my heart says 35 and my mind <laughs> says 35 and my body says 35 because I go to the gym. I work out. You know, I still can dance. I still can do all the things a 35 year old can do. Right. Yeah. So I uh, would tell them that, A, don't think of their age as, as being something, you know, old and ancient because right? I just don't do that. I think I'm as, as young as the rest of them out there. And I act that part. OK. In a responsible way. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, I would and I would tell them age is just a number. Um, we must we move forward, uh, and it doesn't matter. You can you can do what you put your mind to be able to do, and regardless of how old you are. Yeah, fully agree. Can you tell us a little bit? You said you started a mentorship program. Do you want to talk for a minute about that and what that is? 
Yeah, but uh, it starts, it launches this Thursday, so I'm really brand new in it, okay? Awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, I, yeah I, I have five students, um, uh, and, uh, one in Florida, Cocoa Beach, Florida, actually. Uh, so basically, I, I feel there's a need uh, here to show people really how to go out and find the deals correctly, not to take the shortcuts and to really be good wholesalers. I don't know about where you all are, but where I am, the people here just give you the worst number. I mean, I can tell you, I've only bought from one wholesale person in this whole, since I've been doing this. And that person wasn't even from here. They were from down in Virginia, uh, four hours away from here. And they just happened to be a fortune builder student. It's because the numbers are not accurate and they're, they're, the numbers are very fictitious sure. and the numbers are just not there. And I think it's because they lack the knowledge and the, and the know-how and the ability to get out here and do it the right way so they can get the property under contract and have a little bit of room to be able to wholesale it and have people buying their, their rehab, I mean, buying their deals from them. So that was what kind of prompted me to do that, uh, to be able to share our secrets, if you will, uh, and how we're able to uh, negotiate and get properties at the numbers that we're able to get them at, which is, for the most part, uh, about 50% of the ARV. So, um, Dee, let me stop you there for a minute, because there's there's probably a lot of people listening to this uh, who don't know uh, what, they don't even know what wholesaling is, right? They understand real estate investing. They've seen the TV okay. shows where people, you know, fix up houses and resell them for profit. So just quickly, so that, so our audience knows, you know, what is wholesaling? So wholesaling is when you get a property under contract and you uh, sell it to an, another, a rehabber or a person that's going to take that property or wants to take that property from you, buy it from you and, um, and rehab it themselves. A wholesaler really doesn't have risk, okay, involved. They basically just build buyers, get a buyer, and uh, the, the buyer is the rehab, like probably you and I, uh, that, that will take the property and take all the risk, but they will do the renovation for the pro property, right. not the wholesaler. Right. And the wholesaler gets paid a fee for doing that. Right. So just a, another strategy that a, a real estate investor can use to make some, some quick cash and, and play middleman in a property. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. absolutely. So cool. we're going to wrap this up a little bit um, with our little uh, uh, lightning. Surprise questions. Yeah, our surprise questions, our lightning round. Okay. They're not so okay. surprised. They're not so surprised. So first off, um, at America's Tip, it's, you know, we're, we're big believers of the American dream, right? That anyone can kind of create any life that they choose. They can design a life that, that they want to live. So what does the American dream you know, mean to you in terms of the opportunities that are here in this country? Uh, the American dream means to me that uh, I can achieve what I want to be able to achieve. Um, I can get what I want to be able to get and I can live a life that I desire to live. Uh, and that's what somebody else desires for me to live. Well said. Well said. Let's change the next one. Normally we ask, what would you, if you could reach back in time to your 22 year old self and give you a piece of advice, what would you say? But let's change that to 24 year old now, because that's when you had that, uh, that accident. So looking back from now, it, you know, picturing yourself 24 years old in that hospital bed, if you could have had a word of advice from you right now, what would that be? Mm. Uh, continue to follow your dream. 
uh, Dee Dee. Uh, don't let this small setback uh, hinder you from following your dream and only believe that a setback is the setup to the comeback. Oof. Good one. I mean, <laughs> All right, we might have to end on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just switch it up a little bit. Um, okay, one more. Um, if there is one person in the world that you could call up today and meet and spend a few hours with, who would that be? Someone you haven't met yet that you would really love to meet. Could you Oprah say? Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. Huh? All right. Awesome. You know, something tells me she would take your call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah. she would. I think she would take your call. Two uh two very powerful, humble and smart driven women for sure. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah. feel like Thank she so would do much. it. Um and then just a spontaneous thing now because talking and I, you gave me this, you know, this insight. One of the things that we do, we just started last year, we ran our first entrepreneurial and empowerment retreat for Gold Star women which are women who lost somebody due to active duty service. These are mothers and wife or widows and uh, fiance. Um, because I know the struggles that are involved. Are, we're very lucky. There's a lot of organizations. People want to come forward and support us, give us amazing experiences. But getting back into the workforce and getting that drive to get on your feet and become independent and self-reliant and want to live again, that's an entirely different different area. And that's the event that we ran. The very first one we brought in you know, very powerful speakers and entrepreneurs. We did self-defense and all this stuff. But um, I think one of the most important parts of that for them was hearing from people who had walked through that same journey. So if you were sitting or standing in front of a room full of these women who, and a lot of them were still very new in their path and their grief, you know, what would be something it's easy for us to sit there and look at somebody like you and say, well, she made it, but she's X, Y, and Z. She's so-and-so. She's different than me. I'm not her. I can't do what she did. Um, you know, what would you say to women who are faced with this and maybe thinking that they're never going to do what you did? Certainly. First of all, um, right. We all think like that in the beginning. Okay. I didn't think I was going to do what I did either in the very beginning. Uh, I would tell them to embrace the grief, okay? Uh, we we feel, and women, you know, are not sexist by uh, date, but we're a little <laughs> more, we're, we're very sensitive. So we have, uh, you know, we're sensitive. We have so many emotions and that guys probably have, but they shield them or whatever a little bit differently, I think. Um, so I would tell them to embrace, embrace the grief. Uh, don't, I would tell them not to hide from it because grieving is a part of healing, uh, especially with the new pup people coming in. And I think that that's a part that they would have to do. Then after that, as time goes on and nobody has no particular time limit, mm -hmm. uh, I would say to them that you don't have it. There's no time limit for me to tell you how long this will take because like you, it's nine years, me, you know, 13 months, 13 months wasn't the end of it, but you know. It was the beginning of something that I was able to change up, you know, and do. Yes. Uh, so there's no time span is what I would say as well. And but then but then as the healing, allow yourself to heal. And as the healing process continues, start thinking about what it is you want to do next and then dive into it with no water in the pool and just don't hit the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> 
okay. Thank you so much. We're we're planning our next event for the fall, so I thought it'd be great to ask you that and be able to put it in part of our video and you know, and cool. present to the women. Cool. Yeah, when, when there. Barbara and I would like to thank you for being on on the show and and sharing your story. Uh, super motivating, super inspirational. Hopefully, I, I'm sure it's going to impact a lot of the you know lives of our listeners. So we're really grateful to have you on. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Love you guys a lot. Thank you for having me. This thank has been you. really fun. So all right, best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. All right, everyone, that wraps up another show. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you got some value out of today's show, uh, please share this with a friend. Share it across social media, Instagram, Facebook. Make sure you tag us at American Snippets. And also let Dee know how much you loved her story by commenting on it at americansnippets.com forward slash 035. There, you can watch this full interview, read our featured article on D, and learn how you can follow and stay connected with her and all the awesome things that she's doing. D is a true inspiration and is living proof that you can go after your dreams no matter what. Regardless of your situation, circumstances, past experiences, or age, it's never out of reach and it's never too late. Again, if you got value out of today's show, you'll definitely enjoy our past episodes as well. I highly encourage you to go back and listen. Uh, we have had some extraordinary guests on over the past six months. Uh, two weeks ago, we interviewed Sean Stevenson, also known as a three-foot giant, who is inspiring millions of people across the globe. And last week, we interviewed Daniel Alaric of Grunt Style, a veteran and former drill sergeant who took $1,200 in seed money and turned it into a $100 million lifestyle brand. Again, we are looking to spread our message of positivity and possibility across this country. So please support us in this mission by subscribing on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review, tell a friend, let them know what we're doing here. The more subscribers, listeners, and reviews we get, the more exposure we can provide for our stories and the guests uh, that we have here. Finally, don't just be inspired or entertained by our guests. Let their stories ignite you into action in your own life. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. See you next time.